Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with our newly minted relationship with Sate Corporate Training. After 18 months and hundreds of conversations with the leaders, innovators, and the movers and shakers in our city, two things have become abundantly clear. The future of work has arrived, and it always has been all about the people. So whether you're an individual looking to upskill or an organization looking to reskill an entire division, SAIT has the team, the curriculum, and more importantly, the advisors to partner with you to build what you need to adapt for the road ahead. Do yourself a favor and take the time to learn a little bit more. Check them out at www.sate.ca slash corporate training. And more importantly, give them a call, have a consultation, and find out what SAIT can do for you. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Miss Melanie McClare. How are you, Melanie? I'm doing great. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for coming on. It's uh, well, this will be airing on some random afternoon, but it's a Friday afternoon. This is a great way to end the week to have a have a good old fashioned chat with some mover and shaker in our amazing city of Calgary. So let's start. We we've just jumped onto an elevator, and you go, "Hey, Tyler, I'm I'm the CEO. I'm Melanie. I'm the CEO at Swirltex." And I'm like, "Melanie, what is Swirltex all about?" So let's do the quick little elevator speech, and then we'll we'll unpack it all from there. <laughs> Sounds good. So at Swirltex, we know that the future of wastewater treatment is decentralized and flexible. And our vision is to help industrial users unlock opportunities to reuse every drop of water. Okay. All right. You're giving me lots of fodder to ask my questions. Thank you. Decentralized and flexible. Let's start there. So primarily, this is about it being efficient with this highly valuable resource that I would maybe say in Canada, we can take for granted sometimes because, you know, you and I have both spent time at ease. There's water everywhere. Why would we feel a sense of scarcity? But yet the word decentralized and flexible kind of caught me even more. Like, can you give me a little bit of context on that? Yeah, for sure. So traditionally, the way that we've been operating for the last couple of hundred years is we collect wastewater into a centralized system, kind of like a wastewater plant that you would see in Calgary. We have three or four beautiful big wastewater plants here. And they collect wastewater from homes and and industries and companies, and they treat it. And then they discharge the leftovers or the clean water into the river, into the Bow River here in Calgary. And so that's typically what happens. And people pay for that service. And what is happening now is that these systems, this aging and existing infrastructure is starting to get strained and starting to get old, (laughs) dozens of years old. And so industrial users that are very water intensive are starting to get some pinch points that, uh, is it making it economic for them to, to treat their wastewater on site? And what that means is, you know, decentralizing the wastewater treatment process, but not only that, reusing their water. And so instead of buying potable water from the city to use in their processes and then discharging waste back to the city, uh, they can treat it on site and reuse it. Interesting. Does this kind of, I, I've, I, I might be going on a fringe here, but I remember a few weeks ago on listening to CBC in the morning and they talked about the quality of water that gets discharged into the Bow River then goes to a new water treatment facility downriver where they take it in, reprocess it again to be able to use it. They just talked about even just the inefficiency of that process where one one jurisdiction is, you know, cleaning it and prepping it and using it and discharging it. And then it's going right through the same cycle again, where the argument is you could you could drink that water coming out at the under end of that plant. I know maybe a little bit of different, but it just kind of popped into my mind as something I'm like, oh, that's an interesting thing they've put forward. I don't know how to solve it. 
But is it also just trying to create, are, are we also really just inefficient in the, in the process and the way we're doing it in the centralized model as well? We can be really inefficient and we also need to get over ourselves. The technology exists to get... <laughs> to Whoa, get. Now we're going to get into what Melanie really thinks. <laughs> yeah, no, the technology exists to go from, from waste all the way to potable. And so, you know, the human way is to, is to be a little bit scared of going from yeah. toilet to tap. And for, let's technology. just cut us all for understandably <laughs> so. I'm just going to give an asterisk on that. Is <laughs> appealing his toilet to tap sounds, but you're, to your point, we, the te- we have the technology to de- to de-risk that. Mm. Exactly. There was a campaign in San Francisco years ago, toilet to tap, that was a huge fail, and it was largely because of the human psyche. Um, but frankly speaking, the technology exists to get water to the cleanest purity. And so we just need to start thinking about how do we look at the water molecule um, as a human, as a user, as a, you know, a consumer, and, you know, how do we protect it? Because downstream, you know, here in Canada, we have an abundance and we look at water as a human right, but downstream, just take a picture, uh, go Google California drought and, and see what's happening in some of these jurisdictions. Um, And we can, we have the capability, the technology to, to fix that. It's just really frustrating that we can't seem to get over ourselves to do it. Nothing more powerful than a set of beliefs founded or unfounded in whatever they may, they may, they may be. I always joke, you can argue with facts, but arguing with beliefs, beliefs is dangerous territory. So what's curious to your bit of background before we get into the journey as a clean tech startup entrepreneur, which I think I'm safe to call you, to call you that. How did you end up on this journey? What's, what's your background? Have you always been in, on that path as an entrepreneur? Or is this a, a calling or just a problem that you couldn't not attack in terms of like, how did you, how did you get to, get to today? Or even like maybe three and a half years ago when you started Swirl Techs? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a good question. So I started off in kind of a technical role. We were chatting about Montreal. Um, so a chem eng degree, chemical engineering. And then um, I was a little bit addicted to the idea of not working in Canada and trying something outside of Canada. So I, I joined the industrial sector and bounced around Europe and Africa and um, wasn't working for clean tech at the time. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with this amazing life that I had, um, you know, getting paid to travel around, solve some cool problems in the energy sector and, you know, other sectors in the industrial sector. But it was, it was very, um, I would say it was, it was uncomfortable for me and I didn't know why. And so I quit that, moved to Canada. And the first role that I found was with a water technology company or water systems integrator company, which was, had the word environmental in their title. And it just felt different. There was like a spiritual, like base level fit for me. Mm -hmm. Um, The company is called Filterbox Water and Environmental. I worked for them for nine years. So I've been water since 2008. And then I met the founder of SwirlTechs through the CDL, the Creative Destruction lab here in the Rockies in Calgary oh, awesome. okay. out of, yeah, when I was doing my MBA at Haskane. And so, um, you know, having a background in water, seeing this really cool technology that was really energy efficient and new and different, um, seemed like a really cool fit for me, especially cause it was very green and it was new. So we, we really started from, from scratch. Oh, fantastic. And I love to hear that it was from CDL. That's, that's, that's come up quite a bit on the show. And I think, again, there's a lot of people that if you know about it, you really know about it, but there's also a group that doesn't. So, and you were there part of your doing your MBA program, which I've, I've talked to other people that got a lot of really interesting exposure through that process and how it brings together success, money, ideas, 
you know, education. It's a great little melting pot. I've heard nothing but good things come out of there. And if nothing, even if things don't move forward, there's tons of learnings from anyone I know who's been involved. Yeah. Are you still involved with CD? Are you still involved with CDL at all? Yeah, we're an alumni. So um, we were lucky enough to be one of the top two from our cohort that got to present at Super Session. And so there's this huge community of, you know, all over Canada and now starting to be international of investors, other technologies, and alumni that uh, that we still connect with. Life is all about the net. No- nothing much happens in life without a relationship somewhere or multiple relationships somewhere somewhere along the way. Uh, curious, cl- just clean tech as a concept and as even a sector or as a as a as how long is clean? How long has that word even been around? And maybe forever, but there's like there's XXX tech in so many different areas that are all evolving at kind of different pace. So curious when you say clean tech, I haven't had a lot of guests on the show, so I'm anxious to even get a, lead unpack a little bit of kind of that sector and just how the evolution of it it has been over the last maybe five to ten years. Mm. Yeah, I think that the word itself, I'm not sure when it was born, but I would say at least 20 years ago. And back at the beginning, it was really around infrastructure. So things like wind farms, um, these Mm. giant mega projects that 20 or 30 years ago maybe didn't have the best return on investment. Um, And so that's, I think, how it started. Um, I have my own definition of, of clean tech. Uh, today, I think it's completely, completely different. It's, it's way beyond just renewable energy um, and energy itself. Um, to me, clean tech is, is really a technology that, you know, purposefully and mindfully provides a solution that can measurably reduce human impact on planet Earth. And I like that definition. So, that's got some, that definition's got some weight behind it. <laughs> I think you put some thought into that one. <laughs> I've been thinking about this for a while because people associate clean tech with renewable energy and now the buzzword of carbon, right? And and it's really so much further beyond that. If you think about it, any new technology coming into the market has some sort of efficiency gain. And usually uh, an efficiency gain can be translated into saving time, resources, and I would say the definition of clean tech might just be almost every technology out there today that's increasing energy efficiency or somehow, again, getting, you know, getting the impact of humans to be a little bit lower on, on our, our, our world and on each other. No, I appreciate the word, the impact on planet Earth. Like that has some, that has some significant weight. You're right. And not just associating it with you know, ESG, which is such a, a very popular or, or carbon and all the, the conversation going around that, but just broadening it up around the, you know, reducing impact on planet Earth, <laughs> being kinder to this world that we all share with each other, <laughs> which we're clearly not doing an awesome job at, I will boldly say. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting there. Yes, we're, yes, we're getting there. Uh, clean tech as an industry. You've been in Calgary, you came back to your nine years at Filterbox, three and a half years at, at, at Swirl Techs. How is it as an evolving sector here? Like it sounds like it's changing in terms of it, what it represents and what people see it as. But how has it been in terms of like a business sector in Alberta? Has it been something that's been, yeah, yeah, that's over there and it's starting to become more popular? Like just thinking about the journey even in our province, especially the last five years, is everything everything's been changing. Everything's been up for grabs, maybe six years now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's kind of a top-down approach that I think is really taking sh- shape here in Calgary. And when I say top down, I mean, you know, all the way to, you know, publicly traded company stock price impact on their ESG performance. Mm-hmm. And 
And so, you know, international investment in our resource sector or any of our industries here in Canada um, is starting to be more mindful of our, you know, our ESG strength as businesses. And so it, it really comes down from the top of the world shifting, users shifting around wanting to have more sustainable products in their households, more sustainable modes of transportation. And so it's, it's macroscopic and it trickles its way into Alberta. You know, it trickles its way into the businesses that, that run the economy here. And, and that comes in the form of greenhouse gas emissions. It comes in the form of, we'll say brand and PR and, Reputation. Yeah, so, 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 social, social license to operate is, is, is more of a power. Like that can, uh, you overlook that and you will be punished <laughs> very yes. quickly by the media. Yeah. Which and the, so from the, the, the court, top the court down, of social media. Exactly. So from the top down, there's this pressure um, that's really related to companies' top line and, and investment. But mm-hmm. um, from the bottom up, there's also like an economic play now that technologies are catching up. From a from a techno-economic perspective, so now there's there's renewable energy, there's water technologies that do save you money. <laughs> it's not a yes. huge problem to buy something that's cleaner now because the technology has advanced so far, and the Canadian government has really invested in that. So this also is a, this is a kind of of a coming together of not only is the technology accessible. It's not just we're doing it because it's the right thing to do. We're doing it because it's also financially viable. The technology is there to support it. So like so many things in a lot of these emerging technologies, the technologies are just getting better. I think the last five years, those two, those two approaches have come together and we're starting to see uptake in clean tech at, the, at a mass scale. Yeah. And does that also facilitate does, does, do the investors out there and the organizations that are either going to invest in it or even venture capital or people, we can talk about even a little bit your own journey, that are going to put money into this sector, is it also at a place from maturity? Like, do they? It's hard to invest in something you don't understand how it works. Are you starting to see that you're getting, because of all this moving around, just ESG as, a, as, a, as an investment filter uh, that, it, that it's become? Are people better equipped now to understand investing into this industry? Because if they don't understand it, it's hard to it's hard to fund it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it. You have to really separate the the you know the showmanship from the actual value. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, tell me tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can ride the wave of showmanship um, in clean tech right now. To be frank, okay, it's, it's it. really hot. It's everybody's. There's a whole bunch of new funds coming out. Um, just focused on clean technology, impact, impact investing is a big buzzword right now. And so, you know, creating, creating value as a, as a startup really has to be about traction and has not just about what you could do, but what you actually are doing every day. And, and so, you know, to me, there's, we have an abundance of potential investors, but we don't have a lot of, we'll say, experience in growing clean tech. And a lot of the time, clean tech is hardware or a hardware software um, marriage. And so um, hardware takes time and hardware takes a different type of investor. And sometimes clean tech is a little bit of a longer play. And so I think there's, there's this buzz and this, you know, this showmanship and this, like, this hotness to it. But at the same yeah. time, there's a little bit of a disconnect with understanding what it's actually going to take to mass implement some of these really amazing technologies. 
I appreciate the hardware software and I appreciate, I'm hearing there's a little snake oil out there and a little bit, you know, some fancy pitch decks that aren't really backed up by reality, which can, it's funny in industry that doesn't have any, um, optics or doesn't have any buzz, it's hard to raise money, but then it maybe swings past that middle zone, which is probably healthy into uh, humans. We're so challenged. We are either, it's this boomer bus, like hot or cold kind of mindset <laughs> that we seem to take to everything. But anyways, that's another podcast for another day on the philosophy on how, why humans behave the way they do. The hardware and software play, I've had lots of guests come on typically that have a piece of hardware tied to something software related. And they're like, don't kid yourself. Like as soon as you say the word hardware, like a third of the investors get up and they, they shudder. And because there's that fear against that longer play. I'm curious though about in Alberta, this is a heavy iron. Like this is a, this is a province that invested in big projects that took long periods of time that owned hard assets. I'm curious in this province, are we better equipped or do you still find people uh, are a little bit reluctant around the hardware play? I think we'd be better here than anywhere at that. <laughs> mm, that is such a good point. Yeah, that is a really good point. Um, I, I agree. There's, there's hardware centric geographies, you know, mm. in the States that's not Silicon Valley. That's more closer yes. to that Boston area. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, and here in Canada, um, mm. Agreed. You know, Alberta, we're extremely innovative. We have an entrepreneurial spirit and um, we're not scared of hardware. We're not scared of big investments in hardware. The, the potential tricky part is, yeah. is, is when you invest in an oil and gas asset and you apply hardware, there's a return on investment the minute that well starts to produce. Mm, okay. And so there is a bit of a learning curve um, outside of the resource sector, we'll say, with, okay. with that, you know, OPEX savings versus um, production of an asset. And okay. so I do think yeah. there's a learning curve, but I, I look at Alberta, I think, I think it's a great place to grow a hardware technology company. And are the are the investor groups, are they willing to, are they willing to learn or are they willing to learn that difference? Cause I, I recently had someone on from the university of Calgary talking about biotech, uh, Deborah crash, I'm not sure if you know Deborah, she's great. And she talked about, she goes, there's this almost tendency of like, Oh yeah, we get it. She's like, no, no, you don't actually get it. You don't get it. <laughs> Let me show you my, no, no, no. We understand biotech. We understand how it's going to happen. She's like, you don't, it's very different. She kind of expressed very candidly a bit of a challenge of sometimes the investment community also thinking they got it when they actually didn't. And she goes, ah, that's going to hurt us down the road because because you're all of a sudden going to come back and go, whoa, we didn't expect that. It's because she, she said you assumed it was a little bit like that. So curious in some of the conversations you've had in the investment side of the house, are also are our investors here uh, willing to kind of be on the ride and learn and understand and appreciate the differences of what you're doing in clean tech versus maybe what they're typically comfortable investing in? Mm. That's a good question. I think they're willing to learn. I think they're impatient. <laughs> So those are, I, mean, I know. I want returns now. Things. I want returns now. Okay. I, I understand that position. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, fair, fair enough and, and fair enough, but it's the, it's the entrepreneur's job to find the right investor that understands your space. The oh, problem that, is yeah. for, for water tech, especially hardware, water tech, that's not here. And so here in Alberta at all. Okay. And so it's sad because, you know, rather than wait and teach and, and educate and learn together, it's way more efficient for me to find the right investor. And usually I'm looking south of the border for that kind of thing. Mm. And so well, now, that now, I think now is that, the, yeah, Okay. Yeah. Mm. It's so a crux of our this, issue. 
Okay. Which I, well, we, hey, well, that took us 19 minutes and we got to the crux of it. That's pretty good. I think we did great. We did not rehearse this for anyone who's listening. This is, you're hearing this, this is improv. You're hearing it in real time. So the natural question then, like what, then what happens to our clean tech, especially our water tech companies? Do they end up, do those investors then also want you to come to where they are? Like, is there a tendency to abandon and leave? Because we're trying to grow what's happening here. I, we don't want good companies to leave, but I, I appreciate that if that is what's happening. Is that what we see? Is, is, has there been an exodus of great potential companies because of that in your, in, from your preview? You know, as you were chatting there, I, I honestly, I came up with another thought. We've identified the crux of the issue, but not okay. the root cause. Oh, I think, okay. All right. Yeah, let's, think, go, let's go back at it. <laughs> let's go back at it. I think the reason why we're not seeing that real investment opportunity and fostering of, of hardware clean tech here locally in Alberta is because we don't have enough early adopters of the tech. And so those early customers, those those customers that are willing to take a chance and actually pay for a pilot or, you know, especially if you're capital intensive, like a water tech, you need your, you need paid pilots. You can't do free pilots. Otherwise you're raising equity for 10 years. Um, you're not, and, you, you can't, it's not like a SaaS product where you can run the freemium model and get a whole bunch of users in and basically be beta. Like it doesn't work that way. So exactly. they're partly where those models diverge. Precisely. And, and, so. and real step change in, in my industry is, is hardware and software. It's, it's okay. a water molecule. You have to move it. You have to do stuff with it. <laughs> so it, it, it lives in the very, it's a very, it's not an abstract concept. It lives in the physical world. <laughs> it does. You can't touch it. And so, yes. <laughs> and so the root cause I think is really around companies being in, incentivized to uptake these new technologies and, and co-develop these new technologies. We've been really lucky at Swirltex to find some Alberta-based early adopters that are just amazing and fantastic, but it takes a couple of years to find them and foster them and get to pilot. And mm, um, yeah, imagine your sales cycle or, or not even sales, adoption cycle of everything that, and all the alignment that has to happen on their side to take this on. It's significant, like every, like so many stakeholder groups inside the one big, you know, you have this one organization. I saw, I read something earlier today as I was doing my professional creeping that I do before an episode of uh, something you guys did with the Edmonton Airport Authority. There's a lot of stakeholder groups in there from probably even Transport Canada right through to the union groups and everybody that's involved in being able to even be on site in that kind of environment. Yeah, and and thank God for these types of companies that that give you a, give you a go. Um, but but when you <laughs> we like to take a chance still at the end of the day, right? <laughs> yeah, and so I think that that goes back to the investment community because if you don't have local traction and they can they can't visit your site and touch and feel it and see it, there's less of a chance for investment. Whereas in the states, it's like very capitalistic, very let's go. Here's the contract. See what happens. You know they they operate at a higher risk tolerance than we do here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure why, but maybe it's a cultural thing. Um, and so and so a lot of Canadian companies are getting their first traction in the U.S. Therefore, their stuff is in the U.S. Therefore, their investment comes from the U.S. And that might be the root cause. We need to somehow help these industrial industrial players, these Canadian companies, somehow help them make those decisions to take on risk. You were not the first guest that's kind of circled around that in one way. Like, how do we incentivize and how do we help those companies? Like, you know, it's great to have all this incubator work and all this funding when you're in your idea phase, but then this like chasm of death that happens between like, yeah, we've got an idea, it's ready to go, but we've got to get our first customer. 
and that runway is only so long for the company. And I've had a lot of guests come on in different from different spaces. They're like, if somebody could help right there and get us, or or help those companies through proper incentives to take that take a chance on us in de-risk it from their perspective that we could have a lot more homegrown success. I've had a few people come on and say that, but it feels yeah. like that there's a big gap there. Yeah. And, and it's aligned with, mm-hmm. with, yeah, it's, I totally agree. It's, it's like, we have this amazing incubation culture in Canada, tons of grant funding, brilliant clean tech programs, not just in, in Canada, but each province has some really cool clean tech stuff happening from a funding perspective. So we incubate really well. And then, we kind of dropped the ball, like you said, the chasm. And would you say, I like what you talked about, because again, this is about Alberta, but again, it's hard not to, it's about Calgary, but it's hard to talk Alberta or talk about Canada. From a jurisdictional perspective, like where does Alberta sit against even, you know, Ontario, Quebec, other parts of, of the country that have different kind of where they're at different cycles and also they have different backgrounds in kind of their industries, us being more resource heavy more versus manufacturing. Are different, do different provinces lend well or does it, does every province have its own kind of challenges and, and successes around clean tech? That's a good question. Um, I would say that I'm wildly impressed with how quickly we're catching up in the last five okay. years in Alberta. Yeah. So okay. I'm super optimistic about the future diversification, fostering, educating the investment community around outside of the resource sector, what that looks like. There, you know, you've had on your show, you know, there's been a lot of success, major success out of the last you know, couple of years. Even- even from when I started two years ago till now, the vibe, the conversations I'm having, where people are at, like it feels like it's something you can reach out and touch where two years ago, it still felt a bit like an idea. And I, I have to be careful because I'm talking to the people that are living in it. So I have that filter, which mm-hmm. is very optimistic. And when you talk to people that are creating change, you feel change is happening everywhere, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the, the model, I guess the, the most advanced um, with respect to clean tech uh, I would say sits in sits in Ontario still. I think they're okay. you know technology anyway. Um, you know there's 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 some models that have come out of Ontario that we're trying to adopt quickly. CDL is just one of them. Um, right. But you know the, the, I would say they're ten years ahead. And so what what Ooh, Alberta that's a significant doing, that's a real that yeah, ten years yeah, is a real timeline. It is, and and we're all everybody else is catching up quickly. Um, and I think Alberta has the best chance. We have a ton of. A ton, we're a ton of wealth in this in this province that can be put to good use um, if we quickly quickly you know educate our investment community around the diversification where else they could put their money um, to grow quickly outside the resource sector and so I think we're catching up faster than any other province. That's that, that is exactly what I'm hope I hope to hear. But we also. The investment is also the companies that are willing to invest in taking the chance, which is scarce resources. Like they've got to be willing to try something new as well. So you, it's kind of two sides when you think about that education journey. Uh, curious, what role, if any, what about regulatory? You know, in terms of uh, what kind of a heavy hand could be brought in to say, no, 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 you larger organizations that have these problems where you've got lots of water usage and yes, you're, you're recycling. We're going to force it a little bit more to reach, reach certain environmental standards where then you quote unquote have to do this. And that could be an unpopular question, but sometimes a little regulatory or a little, you know, put some different guardrails in leads companies to then feeling they have no choice, but it's not taking a risk anymore. It's the next move they need to make. Mm, I, I think about this a lot about the role of the government and in incentivizing businesses to uptake new technologies, especially when it comes down to ESG and clean tech. 
I think there's two approaches. One is the hammer, like you must, it shall be so. <laughs> the carrot and the stick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look at carbon tax. That's a hammer, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Nobody likes the hammer. And then there's another way. It's like that different type of incentivizing where it's like, hey, here's a green procurement tax benefit. And, or, you know, some <laughs> sort of uh, beautiful incentive that, that, that feels nice, that feels forward thinking, that could positively affect your, your share price when you, when you publicize what you're doing and a little bit of help from the, from the government, right? So, so I think there's two approaches. Maybe a little bit of both is needed to get there faster. Um, but I think the uptake around, you know, being enthusiastic about taking on new clean technology needs to come from the latter, really. There's lots of the psychology around it, <laughs> around the hammer, <laughs> the, the carrot of the stick, or that. Yeah, nobody, nobody likes the hammer. But sometimes, in some industries, we'll just keep doing it the way we've always done until someone forces us to change. But now that might be the investor groups, that might be the big institutions. Like, there's a lot more closing in around companies that aren't willing to make those changes. Like you said, five years ago, even to now, there's significant amount of pressures that just weren't there. Oh, it's so true. And as a startup, your biggest competition isn't the other companies it's status quo <laughs> yes yeah yes. what's the alternative to purchasing from me doing it the way i've always done it which is yeah, just which feels, yeah. which feels fuzzy and warm and i don't you know have to think <laughs> it feels safe when maybe maybe it's actually not not at all um how is the startup how is it being a tech a clean tech startup in calgary like staffing like how's been the journey for you kind of in, in, in this ecosystem? And I heard you, what you said loud and clear that there's a lot of clean tech that maybe goes to other jurisdictions, but you're still here. So um, hopefully we can maintain that. But how, how has it been for you? Has it been, it was, it's hard, but I guess what, what's been the ups and what's been the downs of the last three and a half years? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Being in, being in Calgary has been awesome because we had some early adopter uh, investor types early adopting customers as well. Um, we've been really, really lucky um, with, with some, some amazing customers that help, are helping us develop our technology alongside, you know, saving them some cash. So that's good. Um, but I would say one of the challenges, and I hate saying this, but it's, it's very, very true, is the talent pool. And I look around and I see amazing people. When I post a job within an hour, I get 70 resumes. And the credentials are so unbelievably impressive. But they're not what I need. And so I have a choice. Do I train? Do I just spend the time training person on water and wastewater technology? Um, and what that means and what that looks like outside of the resource sector? Or do I find the talent that can hit the ground running? And as a startup with limited resources and runway, I need the guy or girl that's going to hit the ground sprinting. And so I've been hiring from out of country, out of province, and that makes me crazy. But we are bringing these people here. Um, you know, they have to be in Calgary to work it, with it, us. It is still a net positive influx of, 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 a, of a country. It, yeah, it I, I hear you though. And this comes up on show after show after show with different guests. Yeah. And so, and so we've, you know, we hire right out of school a ton of time when we're training up, but for the, for the senior position, I need to been there, done that. We've been lucky that we had one really cool, uh, clean Texas success story out of Calgary. Pure technologies was a half a billion dollar exit, um, in 2018. And so we've been really lucky to scoop, um, one of our executives from there. Um, and so there are technology companies that have built, you know, from the ground up here in clean tech. 
And so that talent is limited, but it's here. So whenever we can find it, we'll scoop it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. In terms of like actual roles and gaps, like is it specifically to people understanding the water, like the space that you are in, or is it like, like again, what what areas specifically do you see the biggest gaps in? Is it the tech? Is it is it technology? Or is it now that you're advancing as a company, you need all of these different from product managers to people that understand how to take things to market? Is it starting to get to that level for you guys, where the roles are becoming not just an understanding of the water space, but the old general need of building what you're building? That's a great question. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's the gaps that we're filling with respect to talent are, are, um, are vast. And so there are, there are some complementary skill sets that we can hire locally for sure. For sure. Okay. We hire for cultural fit first, usually <laughs> on a highly technical role. We do have to look elsewhere, but growing okay. that here, you know, growing that, that type of talent pool here is, is what we're, you know, what we're doing. We're keeping the head office here in Calgary. We love it here. Um, I, I think, your question was a bit broad. I think that the in a startup, everything's always on fire. So it's like figure out, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> figure out which fire to put out first, and and you know scaling up. Uh, I think one of the biggest problems for scale ups, not startups, scale ups in Canada is is funding, and so. Yeah. So that, that, again, that back to that chasm piece, you have incubators, really great angel investor groups. Awesome. 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 But when you get to like, I need to scale, I need series B or series A. Um, mm -hmm. that's where people are starting to, you know, if I look at my last round of investment, I had 70% come out of the U S I'm hearing that number sometimes higher, but it's around that number I've hearing often in, in this, these conversations. Yeah. And I, of course, I'm I'd curious. Is, 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 but is that a bad thing? Like, like, and I've never uh, asked anybody that question. I've just always taken it at kind of face value. We you were know, really, money's money. Yeah. You're trying to raise. I don't know. Is it got? Does it have any? Is it, does it have any hooks on it that Canadian money wouldn't have, or is it just that you want to would rather stay in Canada? I love I love the the, the incubation and the collaboration in Canada. I think it's okay. like I look at my customer base. They talk to all of their peers about our technology like it's unbelievably collaborative here in Canada so yeah I want to grow the business here however okay. we were really strategic in selecting the geographies where we pulled money from because in water we're in the water reuse sector right so we're, we're helping customers reuse every drop of water if you look at the the water reuse market in California alone it's bigger than that of all of Canada and so if <laughs> okay. we didn't bring Puts on this money yeah so it, that's kind of a Canadian conundrum <laughs> because a lot of these we just these, don't have the scope and scale as they do south of the border like people like, so you many things yeah. yeah yeah so it's just it also just becomes a strategic way of also doing it because you're right you're every one of those investor groups also are heavily connected in the regions where they exist and that's so much of like back to the relationship piece exactly it's just it's just good business is what i'm hearing <laughs> between between the between the lines yeah exactly uh, and I feel the need, and maybe we should have identified it earlier, but can you break down your technology a little bit more and just in terms of like, I want to give the eyes, I, I think we're having a great conversation. I'm really enjoying it, but I'm, 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 I'm far, I find I'm missing this picture in my mind of this, this, like what you actually do. So do you want maybe like, I you know, maybe like we're jumping around here, but I feel like I need to paint a little bit of a picture so people can visualize this, the, the, this piece of hardware and how it lives out in the field. 
Sure, I will try not to be too technical. But it's, it's <laughs> unless you give you the full green light to geek out <laughs> on if you want. <laughs> yeah, we use it. We use what's called a membrane. Um, so it's like these microscopic holes in this nanomaterial that allow clean water to pass through, but keep dirty stuff behind. So dirty stuff includes yeah. solids, oil, bacteria, that kind of stuff. And so what we do is Rural Texas has created a really unique way of using this membrane technology. Membrane technology exists all over the world um, in water and wastewater, so potable and wastewater. It exists in pharma. It exists all over. So, so the technology is about 40 years old. But we use it in a different way. We use it in a certain geometry, a tubular geometry. And what we do is we implement a two-phase flow. So instead of working with the nanomaterial and how the pores work and how the membrane is formed, we actually play with the fluid mechanics and we create a two-phase wow. flow. So we inject a gas like air or another gas and we, we create bubbles that help lift up those oil particles and those dirty things and help them float. And then we spin and swirl, hence the name, we swirl the water. And that creates a force that channels those contaminants away from that membrane and that makes it last longer. And also use and it, ha it, it has to do less of the work. Basically, the it membrane does. isn't having to do all the heavy lifting. I Precisely, guess. and also we use way less energy to do that compared to conventional membrane tech. So um, the play for us is like: can we create small modular solutions that can get water to an ultra pure quality? where that was never possible in the past. You would have to have too many unit operations and too many membranes. So, so it's like getting more for less, but also unlocking the opportunity from a business model perspective for these customers to not have to buy multi-million dollar infrastructure. They can rent a modular solution. So the Edmonton Airport only needs you in the spring because that's when their glycol, which is that de-icing fluid from planes, that's yeah, when fills that up all the ponds around there, around the runway. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so they don't need you in the fall. There hasn't been no de-icing fluid over the summer, right? So, um, so that modular infrastructure, hmm. temporary solution is unique in the wastewater sector. And so it's not just the tech, it's also the way we go to market. I really appreciate that. And also very purpose-driven in terms of like this, the world we live in. Well, like I only need it the time that I need it. I don't need it sitting around the rest of the time deteriorating or not doing its job because my, my issue is a spring issue, not a fall issue. I really, the airport, that's a great example of understanding it. Cause you're right. They pump all that fluid onto the planes. Where does it go? It collects somewhere. And, ah, oh, that's okay. So interesting. So from the perspective of, you know, potable water and clean water, does it go to that level where once it goes through the membrane or does it have to be, is there a secondary treatment or a, or, or a third level of treatment process that would be required for me to literally drink that water? I'm, being, mm -hmm. I'm taking it to the extreme. You mm -hmm. got me back at toilet to tap. So I'm kind of building <laughs> off that story. Oh man. <laughs> you started, you said it. Yeah. I can't get that out of my head. Toilet no. to tap. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's a good question. The, the membrane itself removes um, bacteria and most viruses, but um, in Canada, you have to apply a disinfection step to get it to potable. Okay. And even okay. so, technically, that's feasibly to, feasible to drink, but we don't do it here. So okay. um, they do it in Singapore. They do it in San Francisco. It's potable reuse is starting to become a thing, especially in dry climates. Um, but here in Canada, it's, we don't do it. 
But yes, technically you can do it, but you have to disinfect post Right, but back to where we are as humans and our psyches and the need and the sense of water abundance and the sense of, the sense of water as a, as a right. Back to, back to yeah, mm-hmm. often even in marketing, we look at where's the culture heading and you try to head in that same direction. If you try to create your own direction, that can be a lot heavier lift and often results in a, not a successful launch of whatever, whatever the idea might be. No, that's exactly right. right. The timing has to be right and the... And the, you know, the populace has to be pushing for it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Ultimately, we, like you said, what we said earlier, from a good side, we're, we, 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 we lead with our dollars. We decide what we show where we spend our money. And if we're showing value in certain areas, and even often where we'll pay a slight premium because we have a higher perceived value there, that's an interesting journey. And I think we've never been on that train like we are now as, as a society at large, where we will pay those few extra pennies more. Sometimes, I don't want to oversimplify, but people are definitely deciding with their money. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and in Canada, we think of water as free. So that's <laughs> tricky. Yeah, but what we're seeing is these industries, industrial users, like, I'll give you an example. Do you like wine, Tyler? I occasionally do, man. It is Friday, so good. To, yeah, yes, I, I, I'm going to play along. Absolutely, Melanie. <laughs> do you I do. like wine? Yeah, no. There's, there's, you know, 20 times, of, you know, the volume of the bottle used in water. So 20 liters of water for every liter of wine, and that's just wine. And and so beef, I don't even want to tell you. It's just it's like a thousand liters per you know kilogram of beef. And so you know we're starting to see these stats come out, and people are like like jaw dropping. I can't believe that uses this much water to produce what I consume. And so the idea is, can you help, can you help reuse that instead of um, pulling from fresh water streams in order to produce, you know, a a liter of milk? Can you actually reuse that wastewater that you produce in the cleaning process? That's the play and it's becoming economic for the industry, in the industry um, with or without human, um, you know, consumer choice. Okay. And what I'm hearing from your solution is you're also, it sounds like that'll also be accessible to the dairy farm all the way up to the mass industrial, you know, uh, installation that, you know, sits over, you know, whatever hundreds of thousands of square feet versus the individual being able to use it. And because it was never accessible at a small kind of one-off user. And I'm kind of painting the picture, but this feels like somebody could have their own unit in a single, almost a single, like still industrial use or still like commercial use but a lot more accessible than an airport authority, for example. Mm-hmm. Precisely. And we are actually mm-hmm. working on single home as well. So the idea of completely okay. off the grid, solar powered wastewater treatment system for your home. We're working on that. Yeah. So, mm. Soon, soon. Yeah. I, I love the word, man. The future's here. You know what I mean? The future's arrived. It's just, I heard the, what's the old quote? The future's here. It's not just quite, it's not evenly distributed, but more and more like the, so many of these obstacles of like, what was a good idea is now becoming feasible to your point. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. I think it's a great time for clean tech. Um, we talked a lot about the community and the ecosystem. You talked a little bit about um, a lot of your, the, your customers, they all talk to each other. How's the clean tech community? Cause we, the, you know, the startup community, I guess, where, where do you, where do you fall into in the Calgary? Like we've got this great new tech ecosystem. Everyone loves to talk about, but now clean tech, do you associate, are you part of that group or does the clean tech, do you guys go off and hang out on your own part of the, uh, of the playground at lunch? <laughs> no, we're all this, we all have the same ex- existential issues as a startup. Okay. So we, we hang out. Okay. Yeah. Whether we're like, I have a group of ladies once a month that we have wine night virtual and uh i think there's meditech there's software there you know and we all have the same problems um startups are startups so we hang out for sure with the other with 
with the non-clean tech people. <laughs> I, I appreciate just sometimes comparing notes and realizing you're not you're that you're not crazy. You're like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one who's dealing with this X Y Z problem that I never thought I was going to be dealing with when I just started down this path. <laughs> totally, it's like therapy. Yeah. Yes. And if I got back to the we pivot back to wine, wine again. <laughs> yeah. Curious. And I hate even that I have to ask this question, but I feel that it's something that is becoming much more top of mind for everyone and it, and it needs to be so we can be different. Any challenges being a female led tech leader? Like, is that, is that even been a thing for you? Or, you know, I'm just, again, I, I hope it's not, but I've heard oftentimes that unfortunately it can be. I'm happy to say that externally, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't really seen that as a huge obstacle for me personally. And maybe that's because I'm blind to what it would be like if I weren't female. And so I don't have, a, I don't have anything to compare it with. This that's is, my, no, this is my first startup. Um, and so, you know, externally, I would say, uh, you know, with respect to, to raising money, getting customers, all the externally focused things, I haven't seen it as uh, an obstacle. I have had some of my female peers express some of their, grievances. So I'm kind of on hyper alert for, for that sort of stuff. Um, uh, internally with respect to, you know, what we do as females with respect to our, the way that we operate, you know, managing, I have two kids, six and seven. Um, so when I started at Sorrel Techs, they were, you know, three, three and four. Um, and so, you know, that idea of like, I must do all the things all the time perfectly, <laughs> has yep. been, you know, has been a challenge for me personally is to find that balance and to be able to, to feel successful and feeling successful to a woman might be different than a man in some cases. For example, I need to be like that mom that, that shows up to all the things and that boss that mm -hmm. is really, really present. And, you know, so it's just, it's just, there might be some things that I'm dealing with throughout the the journey that I think I'm getting better at for for, you know, for my career and for, for my confidence. Um, but externally, I'm happy to say that I haven't seen it as a limitation. I, I, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm happy to hear that because I, I, we shouldn't even have to talk about this, but unfortunately it is, it is a reality. And I think the more it gets talked about, the more it gets kind of pulled out of the shadows of any of those paradigms or structures that are there that do hold back. But I love what you said so much, you know, let's set, let's step out from that a minute, not to minimize it, but the pressure we put on ourselves as leaders and as entrepreneurs and as humans and moms and husbands and all those things that oftentimes that's, that's the real, that's the real journey, right? Right there <laughs> of getting kind of working our way through that. Yeah. All, and the humans having a messy experience. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, I've should it all. I probably should all over myself earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should all over myself every day. It's, it's too much, right? It's, it's too much. So you have yes, to like pick is. and choose where you, where you focus. It's real text we don't say hours we say minutes it's like where do, what are you doing with your minutes and and so you know making sure you're choosing hours right. is too macro hours oh, is too, way macro. too macro yeah way too macro we're like squirrels <laughs> yeah, I, yeah i appreciate uh how's the uh again again something i don't even want to talk about. how's the have you guys done work from home how's the how's the last 14 months been for your business have you guys been able to manage that is effectively just like managing your minutes how's that been does the mm. world get flipped upside down for all of us Mm, yeah, it's so hard to not be together. It's, uh, you know, sometimes we'll just pull the team together just to see each other on virtually. Um, yeah. You know, we do have a lot of work that we have to do in person, um, you know, technical stuff, lab testing, building things, you know, operating things. So so we do have the pleasure and the privilege to get together quite a bit. Um, 
you know, and, and, and do that safely. But I would say it's been really tricky to those creative moments, you know, where you're whiteboarding stuff out and it just doesn't feel the same when everybody's at home. So I would say it's been tough to keep the the morale really, really high and the, the we're already sprinting, so it's already exhausting and to be together sometimes is the way to go. Um, and the, <laughs> sometimes we have to remind our staff, like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, everybody was at the office every day and I was like, reminder, we have to work from home if we can. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that's interesting where people like, you know, cause I am really curious and it's an ongoing conversation of like, what does the new, you know, new world look like? And it's not, we're not going back. So what is this, this hybrid version? And I have so many different companies. It is about culture and it is about what different people value and not everybody's work from home is the same. You know, and some people, mm-hmm. their commute was terrible, but now they have freedom. But and some people are sitting at their kitchen table for 14 months and, and that's getting pretty old. That probably got old after six weeks. <laughs> I just really respect that. I'm really curious how this is going to all unfold. My crystal ball is not clear enough to make any predictions here. Same except here. that it's just, there's going to be more variables than ever before. That I think is, is, is a universal truth. I agree. And I think people's self-awareness has increased in the last 14 months. You know, what, what makes them tick? What motivates them? There's been introspection. There's been forced introspection, and I think that's yes. so healthy for everybody. You know, some people might leave their jobs because they realize, like, I don't, I just don't, this doesn't matter to me. And and so I love that. I love that people are forced into, you know, thinking, thinking deeply, is am I doing what I want to be doing? <laughs> I was chat. yes, 100%. I was chatting with um, a gentleman who's the head of the CPHR for for Alberta and the, and the, and the Northern Territories. He dropped a stat yesterday when we were talking. That what what's predictions coming out of the U.S. is forty to forty forty to forty five percent of people will change jobs in the next three to six months, and because of like you said, self awareness or you know also just pent up need for change. Like I've been kind of stuck in the same spot forever. Well, okay, boom, I'm going to pull the trigger over here. But forty to forty five percent, you think about that, it creates a lot of opportunity. But it depends on which side of that you're on. Are you the hirer or are you the loser of team members based on mm-hmm. your culture or based on your not clear sense of purpose? Like, yeah, yeah I think exactly. there's some inter- I think we have some interesting times ahead. Yeah, I do we're, too. Anyways, we're, we're going into a whole other podcast here now. <laughs> For next time. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't want to, we're going to save, we're going to get, get leave, leave the audience wanting more. Melanie, <laughs> what is the best? Thank you. This was a great conversation. What a nice, what an amazing way to spend my Friday. I'm going to go drink wine now. Funny, I think that's been implanted <laughs> in my mind here. Me too. Um, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, you can check us out at www.swirltex.com. Um, and LinkedIn is a really good place to follow us. We, uh, we overpost, so please do follow us. It's quirky, <laughs> it's fun, it's super startup-y. Uh, li- yeah, just follow Swirltex on LinkedIn. I have followed you on LinkedIn. Yeah, super startup-y. That's not how I would have described it, but I think that's accurate. I think you captured it. <laughs> <laughs> Melanie, thank you so much for your time and the amazing work you're doing. And uh, congratulations on the journey. It, it, it's an adventure. So really, really cool stuff. Thank you. Thank you. This was a pleasure. Talk to you soon. <laughs>